bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I'm Steve Bonta, filling in for my colleague Paul Dragu, who's at CPAC this week. And we'll hopefully be piping him into the show later this week. In the meantime, we're glad you can join us. So the Fannie Willis three-ring circus has injected even more drama into the multi-pronged lawfare now being waged against Donald Trump. The death of Russian Alexei Navalny reminds us once again that Putin is a deplorable dictator. And John Birch Society field coordinator Leah Southwell will be joining us today to discuss how the constitutional convention threat was recently defeated in South Dakota. First... Last Friday, New York Judge Arthur Engoron did what he has intended to do since the outset of New York State's legal persecution of Trump. He handed down an enormous $355 million fine against Trump for alleged business fraud, primarily for overvaluing his properties in numerous business deals to secure loans from major banks. Trump will also owe interest on the fine, which has been, he has been ordered to pay within 30 days and which a jubilant New York Attorney General Letitia James announced will push the total judgment over $450 million. Trump has also been banned from doing business in the state of New York for three years. The Trump team, of course, is appealing, but they will be required to post a bond in the meanwhile. While America as a whole may not yet have descended into full Banana Republic status, New York State and New York City certainly have. Here's Alan Dershowitz, former Harvard Law professor, weighing in on the decision. Professor Dershowitz, I'll start with you. You wrote a best-selling book, Get Trump. Where did you get the title for that book? <laughs> I didn't make it up. I wish I were a creative and original, but I got it from, obviously, Letitia James' campaign. Uh, she ought to be brought up before the bar. You should not have an elected prosecutor campaigning on the promise to get a particular defendant. Now, if she didn't get him, she would lose the election. This is a variation of Stalin and Beria back in the 1930s when the head of the KGB says to Stalin, show me the man, I'll find you the crime. This is show me the man, we know who it is, she told us who it was, Donald Trump, and we'll find you the fraud even though there was no harm. Generally in our legal system, particularly under the system of equity where you don't get a jury trial, if it's no harm, no foul, no harm, no fine. But when you have no damages at all, usually you can do a multiple. Say there's a million dollars of damages, you can give $3 million fine. But when you have zero damages, no matter how many times you multiply it, zero plus and times whatever is all still zero. So it's outrageous. Now, I don't know whether it's going to be reversed in the appellate division. The appellate division is also elected judges, mostly by Democrats, in a county which is 85% Democrat. The New York Court of Appeals, which is the highest court, may indeed come and give justice. Generally, fines like this are reduced considerably, and that may very well happen in this case. But this tells us so much about the politicization of our justice system, the weaponization of our system. And it's so dangerous because it will mean that business people are not going to want to run for office because they know if they run for office, partisans are going to go after them, investigate them, figure out some way of getting them like overvaluing. You know, this is a judge which overvaluates when he wants to, $350 million for no damage, then under-evaluates when he wants to, Mar-a-Lago, $18 million, 
He's just willing to manipulate the numbers to get him to the result he wanted. I hope the courts will look at this with a very, very, very stringent eye. Well, as for Trump himself, he characteristically did not mince words after the decision. Let's watch. But a crooked New York state judge just ruled that I have to pay a fine of $355 million for having built a perfect company. Uh, great cash, great buildings, great everything. It affects New York. It's mostly talking about New York, where we have a totally corrupt attorney general. She campaigned on the fact that I will get Trump, I will get Trump. Everybody's seen it. Letitia James, they've all seen it. Well, we'll be appealing, but more important than that, this is Russia, this is China, this is the same game. It all comes out of the DOJ, it all comes out of Biden. It's a witch hunt against his political opponent, the likes of which our country has never seen before. Well, sympathetic as I am to Trump's plight, I have to say, it, it bears mentioning that this is not the first time that the Trump family has been victimized by this sort of what we now call lawfare. In fact, way back in the 70s, Trump and his father were in the receiving end of a, of a, of a federal, a series of federal actions trying to make an example of them even back then. And New York, you know, th this is not a new thing in New York either. I'm old enough to remember in the 1980s, a man named Michael Milken who was caricatured in the press as the junk bond king. What he was actually was a brilliant, innovative investor who came up with ways to, uh, well, basically to, to, it, to raise money for startup companies that, were considered, that weren't blue chip, that were considered high risk. He made money. Everyone who invested with Michael Milken made huge amounts of money. But in the end, in the end, he was brought down by similar lawfare, not so much for political reasons, but for another motive, which I think is also involved here with Trump, which is this, this tendency that we have in this country, despite the way we pay, love to pay lip service to capitalism, to envy and hate and try to destroy people who are more successful than the rest of us. And right now that happens to include Donald Trump. So with me in the studio today is Gary Benoit, editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine. So, so Gary, I mean, you, you know, how is this going to affect Trump's finances? I think there is no secret that that, that, that this is being that this particular part of the lawfare is being done to try to dismantle his financial, you know, resources, his empire, undercut his ability to finance his own campaign and not be beholden to anyone. Well, of course, Trump is a billionaire, but even being a billionaire, uh, we're talking three hundred and fifty million dollars, not including the interest uh, that you said would push it up to four hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, that still is really, really uh, going to hurt. But, uh, uh, of course, uh, it, it's designed to try to, to bankrupt Trump, uh, to force him, I assume, to sell his assets and uh, to destroy him, to sidetrack him, to prevent, uh, to prevent him from being able to run for president of, of the United States. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I think Trump it showed a lot of good sense moving to Florida, although, of mm -hmm. course, they're moving against him in Florida as well. They're using the federal government in this case because no, in Florida, they wouldn't touch this the local judiciary. He got out of New York. But again, looking at these, this, this is not the first time that the state of New York and New York City has gone after successful people in this sort of nauseatingly corrupt way, sort of making up the law as they go. This particular law is particularly disgusting, not only for the reasons that, that Alan Dershowitz mentioned, but I should mention a couple of other things. Number one, you can't even though he, he's going to appeal the judgment, he's required by the corrupt laws of the state to post a, a bond for right. the full amount of money anyway, pending the appeal within 30 days. And, you know, his attorney, Helena Haba, has indicated they're they going to do that. 
How are they going to do that? Well, according to Forbes magazine, Trump is a billionaire. But by today's, I mean, you know, in the days of J. Paul Getty, his fortune would have been considerable. But today, according to Forbes magazine, he's worth about $2.6 billion. Trump says it's more, but he's not in the same class as an Elon Musk or somebody like that. Okay, so, you know, $400 million is a considerable bite of his personal fortune. He may have to liquidate, you know, he may have to sell off Trump Plaza and stuff like this in New York City just to make the conditions for posting bond while they appeal. And not only that, as Dershowitz points out, he's not going to, we can tell, I tell you right now, he's not going to get any relief in the local appeals court. It's all dominated by these similar corrupt Democrats who want to get Trump. Okay, the governor of New York went on record. Governor Hochul said said they're trying to reassure business. Oh, you know, we're not going to go after you. This is all about Trump. We're going after him because of his behavior. He specifically used the word behavior. And, and as much to say, you know, as long as you play by our rules politically, you don't have anything to fear in New York. But if you get if, if you go off script and start criticizing us, then we may do to you what you've done to exactly. Trump. Exactly. So, you know. Behavior or bad behavior in this case is going against the narrative. But if there is a silver lining, Steve, is the fact that this is so obvious, so blatant, so transparent. It's hard to imagine anybody who's paying attention not being able to see it. Well, yeah. And I mean... It, I mean, who knows, what, what, what are we going to do as a country? I think we probably should take a little bit of time in the next segment to talk about this further because we have, this, we have these egregious examples of certain very large states, New York and California particularly, that just are completely off the reservation, that have these laws that are, that are grotesquely anti-constitutional and no one seems to be able to do anything about it. Anyway, we'll be back right after the break. Hey, America. How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. Well, welcome back. So I just want to talk a little bit further about this, Gary. This, this mm-hmm. whole situation in New York this is our lead story. It's going to be dominating the headlines for some time. This, this, this calculated lawfare being waged against Trump, which I think is indicative of a, of, of a larger problem. And that is that we have certain seats of extreme corruption in this country, New York and California, among them, they're not the only, I mean, I'm sure Trump would get similar treatment in New Jersey and Massachusetts, some of the other so-called, you know, blue states that are dominated by ultra-liberal, even, you know, socialist, rat, left-wing, radical urban centers that really, you know, in no way reflect the way the, the rest of the country views most of, most of these things. This is not a new thing with New York City. I mean, New York, for example, uh, passed a, a comprehensive gun control way back in, I think, 1915 with the Sullivan Act long before this became the rage elsewhere in the country. So New York has, has, has long been a kind of the leading edge of the subversion of American law. And we're seeing this now uh, with, with Donald Trump, who is trapped, in effect, by this. He's been ensnared not just with the, you know, the, 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 this, this particular case that was the, this fine, 
but also with these other cases that are being brought against him in the state of New York. And, you know, unfortunately, he's probably ruining the day that he didn't, you know, get out of the, uh, get out of New York, say, back in the 1980s or something like that. But so it's just appalling. But, you know, what realistically can the rest of the country do? We're sort of sitting by helplessly watching this guy being destroyed. Well, yeah. I, I, I think if you look at the record, Steve, there were previous times where the insiders or the deep state tried to destroy Trump and they were unable to do so. They tried to destroy him when he was running for president. In 2016, but failed. Uh, they tried to in- destroy him through impeachment number one and impeachment number two. And of course, now they're trying to destroy him from uh, running for uh, for president once again. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not they're successful. But as to what people can do, first of all, despite uh, how bad the politics are in New York today, there are still very good people there. Uh, there are people who are fighting this. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, people can vote with their feet as well. Uh, we have a federal system of government, and so what happens in New York, uh, that stays in New York, so to speak. But uh, if, if things get so bad where ordinary people who believe in God, family, and country uh, cannot tolerate it any longer, they can certainly vote with their, their feet, and they can move to uh, another state, such as Texas. Yes, well, you know, we're, we're seeing that that trend already, mm-hmm. people exiting New York and California and other these these deep blue states. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just in the short run, it's this this crying injustice. I'm, I'm not a, necessarily a great fan of Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of this he's brought on himself by his by his uncouth behavior. But, you know, uncouth behavior is not necessarily something that, that, that you know, deserves to be stripped your fortune. And again, the disproportionality. Of what's going on here? Well, I mean, the damages are, are zero. Well, I mean, if, if, if so right, exactly. what multiplier if, would you use? And to, if Trump gets gets relief, it won't be until right. he's appealed to the state supreme court, and even then, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. clear. I mean, for all Alan Dershowitz and other people may say, who, and, and Dershowitz, by the way, is a Democrat, so that mm-hmm. speaks, I think, volumes to yep, his character. A liberal that Democrat, he's, that he's willing to say this. Sure, but he believes in civil rights. Yeah, and he's no fan of Trump, mm-hmm. although he has mm-hmm. defended Trump in his capacity as a, as a criminal defense attorney. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Well, let's move on. So, folks, The New American will be at CPAC later this week, as we mentioned in the first segment, and we will be bringing you exclusive interviews and news right from the event in Washington, D.C. Paul Dragu will be there, as will our colleague TNA senior editor Veronica Kirilenko. And they'll be talking with some of the most important people in GOP politics. So make sure to go to thenewamerican.com later this week for exclusive TNA coverage of CPAC. Also, this is important. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, February 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, we will be posting at thenewamerican.com our exclusive hour-long interview with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. This interview was carried out right before Congresswoman Greene went and voted on the Mayorkas impeachment last week. And not surprisingly, MTG pulls no punches. So here's a quick excerpt to sort of whet your appetite. Our border has been ripped wide open by the Biden administration. We've had 10 million people come across our border since Joe Biden took office in January of 2021. Um, Two million gotaways. These are people from over 160 countries. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. And we don't know what they're planning to do in America. But we do know among them are terrorists. And we don't know What's going to happen? Um, I think the American people feel this way, and I feel this way. This government has put the American people in $34 trillion in debt. They're doing nothing to secure our border, but yet they fought all weekend 
held the senators throughout the Super Bowl and stayed up until 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. debating and fighting in order to make sure that they can send 95 billion of American hard-earned tax dollars to fund the war in Ukraine, to fund the war in Israel, and to fund a future war between Taiwan and China. Um, it's America last. I'm absolutely against it. And uh, I, I say shame on all the Republicans and Democrats that have forgotten their oath, forgotten the people that they swore their oath to, and uh, really could care less about how hard Americans work to earn their money. And speaking of lawfare, Russian style, Russian dictator Vladimir Putin has struck again with the mysterious but hardly unexpected death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny in a Siberian prison camp last Friday. Navalny, who had already survived one attempt by the Putin regime to poison him, was imprisoned for his opposition to Putin, including the war in Ukraine. He was transferred from a prison near Moscow to a remote Arctic penal colony known as Polar Wolf, north of the Urals, where he survived for only a few weeks. The colony and a nearby town were built by gulag prisoners during the Stalin era. Navalny's death drew outrage around the world. Navalny's widow has vowed to continue her late husband's opposition to Putin. President Biden, for his part, used the occasion to put pressure on Republicans to pass funding for Ukraine. Let's watch. Anything you can do to get ammunition to the Ukrainians without a supplemental from Congress? No, but it's about time they step up, don't you think? Instead of going on a two-week vacation? Two weeks. They're walking away. Two weeks. What are they thinking? My God, this is bizarre. And it's just reinforcing all the concern and, and, and almost, I won't say panic, but real concern about the United States being a reliable ally. This is outrageous. Are you more confident now that you'll get the Ukraine aid, given what's happened today? Well, I hope to God it helps. But, I mean, the idea we need anything more to get the Ukraine aid. I mean, I mean this is, in light of a former president's statement that saying, Russia, if, if they haven't paid their dues to us, go get them. Come on. What are these guys doing? Okay, to be clear, Putin is a monster and should not be held up as some sort of anti-globalist hero. But that said, this doesn't mean that we should be funding an open-ended war in, U- in Europe either. America is still trying to figure out if it's willing to, under, to continue to underwrite the globalist project, which it's allowed its leaders to do since World War II. So, Gary, we've got about two minutes left. I mean, um, the death of Navalny, I think we all agree, is, is a tragedy. And in fact, we didn't mention this in the script. But, uh, but uh, another Putin casualty was added yesterday with the gunning down in Spain of the young uh, Russian soldier who defected to Ukraine with one of Russia's helicopters a few months back. And he, he was shot down execution style. So Putin is, 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 is an absolute brute. You know, he loved and he tried to kill Navalny with poison. The guy survived and then went back to Russia to make his case. And, you know, what's going on in Ukraine is 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 a horror. But that's a different issue. I mean, you know, we can all make our moral judgments on things going on around the world. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to be involved because there's also a moral issue with committing American blood and resources to foreign shores. This is something that our founders were steadfastly opposed to. What do you think? Do we have, is there any case to be made for involvement in you know, European broils nowadays? Well, if, if there were a case, whether it be in Europe or elsewhere in the world, we'd be going to war in a lot of places, wouldn't we, Steve? Uh, let's look no, at, we are. Yeah, <laughs> let, let's, look at, well, let's look at Cuba, for example. 
Uh, Cuba certainly has been a horrible dictatorship under uh, under the Castros. And uh, should we have gone to war against Cuba uh, because we, we had a terrible dictatorship there? And, uh, and if you look uh, throughout the rest of the world, there are all kinds of countries where there are terrible dictators. Should we go to war against all those, those countries? So, uh, of course, it's ridiculous to say that every time there's a dictator, we should go to war to liberate that country. And, of course, when, when we do go to, war, uh, go to war under those pretense, uh, we talk about exporting democracy, do we not? But uh, has that really made the world uh, a better place? Uh, look at the Middle East. Uh, terrorism has actually uh, increased there as a result of our involvement. Thanks, Gary. Imprisonment. Forced labor. Permanent separation from my family. Perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect. But the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud sipped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home. But I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu, a thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase Defector at shopjbs.org. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polished Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. Welcome back, everyone. Well, returning to the main theme of anti-Trump lawfare, will Fonnie Willis be disqualified from the election interference case against former President Donald Trump and others? The Fulton County District Attorney down in, in Atlanta, Georgia, is under a microscope because of her romantic relationship with the special prosecutor in the case, Nathan Wade. One of Trump's co-defendants, Michael Roman, says she and the DA's office should be disqualified, and they want the entire election interference case thrown out. He filed a motion in January alleging that she laundered money through Wade, profiting off her illicit love affair. 
His filing says that Willis's office paid Wade nearly $654,000 for his work on the Trump case and that some of that money was spent on lavish vacations with Willis to Napa Valley, California, Florida, and the Caribbean. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee called a two-day evidentiary hearing last week and social media is awash with Willis's defiant testimony. She had stormed into the courtroom Thursday while attorneys were arguing about whether she should be made to testify. She told the judge, I'm ready to go, and took the stand. Then she seemed to take over by demanding to see the defendant attorney's filings. Here are a few of her more fiery moments. How often did Mr. Wade visit you at a place where you were living between 2019 and 2021? So you want to start with the lie that he lived with me in, in South Fulton in 2019, a home he's never been to? That's one lie you told in judge, your document. I, no, you, Judge, I didn't ask her about that. Miss um, Merchant, I want you to ask a very precise question. I think she's saying and answering that he did not live with her. So why don't we break that up into smaller ever. parts? And I, I didn't ask about living. But you put in your, did, while we're talking about professionalism, no, while we're talking about professionalism, she put in three different documents well, he lived with me. Full opportunity to respond. In and filed that with the court. In 2019, you've never like given Mr. Wade money through Cash App. No. The only money you've ever given him outside of a contract is cash. I didn't give him money in a contract, so that was cute, but I didn't give him money outside, uh, in a contract. What happened is, no, we're going to answer it since you said it. He worked. He worked more hours than he was paid, and the county paid him for the work that he did. So don't be cute with me and then think that you're not going to get an answer. And I will ask you about the contract in a minute. I asked you about cash. So your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken with no, Mr. Wade. And, well, no, 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 look, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. So my question was, do you have any problem? I object to getting any personal records of mine. Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So let's be clear, because you've lied in this, this. Let me tell you which one you lied in. Right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. no. This is the truth. Judge, and this it, is, it, it is a lie. Is. It We're is gonna, a lie. Right, Ms. Willis. Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Thanks. We'll be back in five. Judge McAfee will now set a summation hearing when attorneys for both sides will make final arguments. Then the judge will decide whether to keep or disqualify Willis and her office as well as Nathan Wade. A user with the handle at KellyTX2 posted a question on X. Quote, does anyone think Judge McAfee will hold Fannie Willis accountable? The general consensus among comment commenters is no, with responses like, nope, I don't. He's acting very strange to me. He has already let her get away with so much nasty in that courtroom. I lost faith in him on day one, unquote. Others pointed out that she was once his superior, and one post said that he, he should have recused himself since he is up for re-election in Fulton County. Well, Gary, um, I don't know about you, but um, my understanding is, now I've never actually been on trial myself. I've been in courtrooms a few times. Uh, I've witnessed trials. And my impression is you don't get to bandy words with counsel. You get slapped down and fined by judges for doing things like that. You don't get to call, you know, interrogate, the interrogating attorneys uh, liars. And, uh, and, 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 and snap at them and talk over them and talk over the judge and lecture the judge, all of which Fannie Willis is doing. So clearly 
you know, there, 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 there's this is that two tier justice system again. Um, it's being, of course, the penumbra is being expanded, not just to people named Biden and, and Clinton, but also people who are friends of the larger, you know, radical left deep state enterprise. In this case, Fonnie Willis, who is a key player in the lawfare against Trump. And she gets away with everything short of murder, apparently. I mean, you know, this last poll, <laughs> she said, well, no, I, you know, I, he worked overtime and my, you know, my, my little mischievous mind thing. Oh yeah, he sure did. And he got paid for it too. Oh yes, he did. But that's of course not what, not, not what she meant. What's your take on that? I mean, how can, is she going to get away with this? Are you as cynical as these commenters that uh, talk about, I mean, I look to me like well, the judge was a pushover, so. Well, we'll have to see what happens for sure. But uh, the fact that the judge allowed that travesty to take place in this courtroom does not speak well with the judge, and it does not speak well as to whether or not there's going to be um, a fair trial, does it? No, it's more banana um, republicanism, yeah. only this time in Fulton County, Georgia, instead of Manhattan, but. But uh, isn't it interesting, too, uh, the premise that if you challenge election results, uh, that somehow that means you are trying to overturn uh, a fair uh, election. Apparently, we have to accept these days whatever the state says, whatever the, the state claims the, the results to be. And uh, uh, I would think this would have a, a chilling effect on uh, people running for office and then losing and uh, the results being, uh, being dubious. Uh, is to election regularities, uh, would such a person in a case like that be afraid to try to challenge it for fear that he could end up uh, being charged criminally? Well, not, not if they're Democrats. I mean, obviously, well, that's true. you know, I mean, it's, it's tedious to have to keep repeating this. But for the benefit of any of those of you who've been in a coma for the last 30 years, mm -hmm. OK, in the in the 2000 election, it came down to one county in Florida and the Democrats challenged it. Right. The, the, the entire election, the, the Gore-Bush uh, election of 2000, which ended up being decided by the Supreme Court in favor of Bush to the consternation of the Democrats, was held up for, what, six, eight weeks? I was actually overseas at the time, but I remember watching it, yeah. watching with horror. But that was okay. Okay, you know, we can challenge that election. And no, nobody, nobody got carted off to jail or sued or, or otherwise taken to court as a result of that. Again, of course, uh, you know, the, the outcome of the 2016 election and the 2018 election, for that matter, certain certain elections mm -hmm. there were challenged by Democrats. In fact, the lady who failed, I forget her name now, but she failed to 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 win the governorship of Georgia, yep. I believe it was 2018. Uh, was it uh, uh, Abrams? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So yes. remember what she did. Yes. She went out and she challenged, accused her opponents of, of, of lying yep. and cooking the books and all this sort of thing. Yep. I don't see her rotting but, in uh, prison. Steve, do you remember you know. a single occasion where she was called... Uh, Gee, I hate to use this Stacey horrible Abrams, phrase. That was her name. Uh, Stacey Abrams, yeah. right. Uh, was she ever called an election denier? Well, again, <laughs> no, I, I, because, because you know, re Republicans, conservatives don't use that terminology. We've just sort of come to accept that this is how Democrats behave. You know, they always have the long knives out. They always are street fighters. They always will take every advantage. They don't play fair and all this sort of thing. So we just sort of assume that they're going to do this and kick up a fuss um, and, you know, the difference with Trump is that he's not content to lose gracefully and say, oh, well, you know, this is the way it is and fade off into the sunset. He's actually taking the fight to them. So, of course, you know, they, they're, they're, they're doing what they're doing. Fonnie Willis, in my opinion, will probably get away with it. My guess is that she will be dismissed from the case, but, but don't, don't look for her to right. be disbarred or anything else. Don't look for the case to be ended. They will find some other reliable asset down there. And of course, if there were justice, the case itself should be 
uh, removed. It should be. Well, if there were justice, she would be disbarred in jail right. along with Nathan Wade, who clearly lied under oath last week. Okay, and the Trump would and the and the case would be dismissed with prejudice. Okay. After this, John Birch Society field coordinator Leah Southwell will be joining us to discuss how the constitutional convention threat was recently defeated in South Dakota. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men, and strong women. But what does it mean for us in today's world? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World, for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer, available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call one 800 727 8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Welcome back, everyone. Well, for our final segment today, we're going to revisit a topic that we've talked about a lot on this show and we're going to continue to talk about because it's one of the most undersung threats, issues in the news that no one ever talks about except us. And it's this issue of the looming threat of a constitutional convention. Now, sometimes it isn't called by that name. Sometimes it's called a convention of the states or various, uh, you know, diff different guises in which it's being introduced. But there is a, there is a very active, well-funded, sophisticated drive afoot in all 50 states to create the conditions for calling a second constitutional convention. There's only ever been one at the national level in this country. And the founders warned against having another one, particularly for, for capricious or frivolous reasons. We've reached a point today where a lot of people seem to believe that the trouble we're in is not due to the fact that we, that we elect bad people and allow them to get away with, with doing violence to the Constitution, ignoring the Constitution, ignoring their oaths of office, but instead that the fault lies in the Constitution itself and that therefore we need to take radical steps to completely restructure the Constitution, ostensibly, so that these types of abuses cannot continue in the future. So there are all these proposals for amendments, including things like term limits. We don't have time to go into all of the details on this show. We've talked about them before, and again, we'll discuss them again. But suffice it to say that on political grounds alone, if a constitutional convention were, at, by any name, were to be convened right now, you're not going to get Franklin's and Madison's and George Washington's in attendance. Okay, You're going to get the kind of people who run states like New York and California probably dominating proceedings because of the populations of these states. They're not going to go on a one-state, you know, one one-vote scheme 
which was the way, the way it was done the first time around. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to entice the small states to even participate. Oh, no. If it's done again, it will be done proportionately in the name of democracy. And that means that the radical left blue states with their huge populations, particularly New York and uh, California and Illinois, will dominate proceedings and will completely change the Constitution. Well, now, recently, uh, an, an, an effort to get the state legislature in South Dakota to to submit a petition for constitutional convention was stopped. And so today with me in the show is Leah Southwell. She's a field coordinator for the John Birch Society, and she had an up-close-and-personal view as to what happened in South Dakota and how this threat was turned aside. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. Yeah, can you just tell our listeners and our viewers what happened in South Dakota? South Dakota was just a repeat of every year in most every state. The Convention of States is just absolutely desperate to get this passed. I think the blessing that we had in South Dakota was that two years ago, the Convention of States decided to get nasty. And I think they used South Dakota as an example. And they put $100,000 per race against four of the legislators in South Dakota. Big mistake was choosing to pick the Senate president. And so uh, I think this really had serious backlash on South Dakota and their legislature in not wanting to tolerate or accept Convention of the States anymore for an organization that plays this kind of dirty tricks. But they're not done. They're doing it in other states. They've done it this past year with Idaho trying to turn good legislators in their favor by threatening them that if they don't vote for this, then they will run candidates against them against them and put a good hundred thousand dollars per uh per legislator against them. And that scares enough of the legislators that some of them will cave. But it also is backlash where they start to realize, dang, this is not this is not a normal issue here. These people don't play fair at all. Well, yeah, and I mean I mean the thing that that that, that worries me is that so few people outside of our organization are even aware that this battle is joined, that this is going on. While everyone's focusing on the lawfare against Trump and against Ga- you know, Gaza and Ukraine, all these different, which are also important and, and, and certainly deserve our attention, this issue has the capacity to do more damage to the body politic than any of the others because it could lead to a radical rewrite of the Constitution. Or do you seriously believe that a California, New York, and Illinois delegation to a hypothetical constitutional convention would be would do anything other than try to ban, you know, assault weapons, jettison the Second Amendment. Uh, in, in California, has just issued a call for a convention specifically for the purpose of amending the Constitution to get rid of that hated Second Amendment. All right, so there's little question what they would do now. The people who, you know, Meckler and these others who are, who are pushing for this constitutional convention claim to be conservative. This is the interesting thing. Mark Levin, prominent commentator, has written an entire book about it. He's very, very, very loud supporter of this. And the, these people, and I, I'm, probably many of them are conservatives in many regards or whatever that means. You know, they, these aren't necessarily radical leftists. So... It's not clear the extent to which individuals may be doing this deliberately, may be posing as conservatives when, in fact, 
They are wolves in sheep's clothing. I have no doubt that there are some. But you know, that, in, in a way, that almost doesn't matter because what we're going to end up with is a circumstance. And, and you know, they, they, they come up with all of these, the, these, these lies and half-truths. They say, for example, oh, well, don't worry. You know, if, we, if we actually have this convention, we'll put strict controls on the delegates to, uh, to make sure, you know, to, to make sure that, that, that they will be jailed if they, if they try to exceed their mandate from the states in any way. We won't tolerate that. Yeah, how did that work out the first time around? Okay, the delegation from the state of Delaware conspicuously was told by Delaware, if you try to do anything at this convention other than tweaking the Articles of Confederation, that's your mandate. If you try to do anything besides that, we'll bring you back and, and grave consequences will ensue. And guess what? They got to the convention and they said, oh, well, you know, we're not leaving because whether we're here or not, this thing's going to happen and we want to make sure we participate. So, so, and so they ended up being there and when they ended up completely changing the Articles of Confederation, we would argue it was an improvement. But the founders, after the fact, several of them, George Washington, for example, Madison, warned that, boy, it was a near thing. We were darn lucky, even given the sort of men that were in Philadelphia. We were lucky that this didn't get out of control and we didn't end up with some sort of monarchy or some other form of government that would have, would have come to ruin. It was very fortunate. And as a result, even though we've made provision for another constitutional convention, we really strongly, you know, advise our posterity to stay away from it. And yet, you know, we're hearing all this stuff. So what, what do you, I mean, so you mentioned Idaho. I saw a very wonderful speech, an hour-long presentation by Scott Bradley the other day. Uh, he's actually from Utah to the Idaho legislature laying out all of these, you know, exploding all these falsehoods for the, you know, those that were in attendance who were probably sympathetic saying, you know, th th this, this is a trap. Don't go for it. Where else should we be concerned? I think sadly the issue is that people are being sold the wrong narrative. They're being sold only about Article 5. Generally, people who come and testify haven't read the rest of the Constitution, don't know what the rest of the Constitution says, but they've been told that Article 5 is there for a time like this, when we need to reign in the federal government. Sadly, they don't know that all of the Constitution is there to reign in the federal government. And so they're being misled, and this is the tragedy. We know those that are promoting it have other reasons. But sadly, the people that fall for it, including the legislators, can't get past that simple statement. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of other issues we could talk about here that, you know, I think this deserves more time in another show and more detail. But suffice it to say, if this ever happens, you can probably kiss the old republic goodbye. This is and, and it can be achieved without without guns, without a coup d'etat in the usual sense that people understand it, no, any kind of drama, you know, this, this, is how, this is how it's going to work. So we shall see. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news and please join us again tomorrow. <laughs>